0: Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. John Schmelk, Lance Metta with you. The phone number, 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. If you prefer to talk to us that way, you certainly can. It's all presented by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience, courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464 for more details. Lance, uh, sadly, for the fifth, uh, fourth straight week, pardon me, uh, the Giants are coming off another loss this time in Detroit to the Lions 31 to 26. We can go through the particulars of this game, but I'm gonna throw kind of more of a generic statement. Curious if you agree with it. We've I been I disagree with it. Easily, Anything you say, I disagree. <laughs> we've been easily able to dissect reasons for losses the last few weeks, whether it's turnovers, things the Giants have done poorly. When I look at this game, and maybe I'm biased just from the offensive perspective, but I feel like the Giants played a better brand of football in this game, but they still managed to lose because they just simply weren't good enough and didn't make enough plays but the Lions did. Do you think that's a fair characterization? I would say if you go through this four-game losing streak, it's
1: fair to classify this as probably one of the best offensive performances we've seen, if that's the direction, John, that you're going with in terms of them consistently moving the football, yep. finishing drives with touchdowns, yep. the third Biggest, downs, third downs. They were effective in that regard, 7 of 12. But the other issues that are overshadowing that, John, and I would argue is taking away from... That rising to the top is the early holes that they're digging themselves in, in games. That has continued, regardless of how impressive the offense was the rest of the game, and also the explosive plays that are surrendered on defense. Now, against the Cardinals, John, it was the rushing attack for the opposition. This week, it was through the air. The Lions had two touchdowns for 40-plus yards, and as far as the early sluggish starts, I want to throw out a few numbers to you, because I don't even know if the public is aware of this. Do you know that during this four game losing streak, I was calculating the numbers, the Giants have been outscored thirty eight to nothing in the first quarter alone. I forget the rest of the game. Thirty eight nothing in the first quarter mm-hmm. alone. And the opponents, the four opponents that they've lost to during this four game losing streak, have outscored them just off of nine takeaways, thirty eight points off of those nine takeaways that they've been able to capitalize. Is that's that just in the first quarter? No, no, is that, that overall? that's overall. Okay. That's overall. But 38 seems that, to be the magic ooh, that's number 38 points allowed in the first quarter, none for the Giants, and then 38 points given up off of takeaways over this four-game losing streak. It's hard, John, to win games regardless of how well your offense has come along.
0: Yeah, and it's a change because in the first four games, if you remember, the Giants scored on their first possession in all four of their first games yeah. this year. So that is a change in how... Uh, The season has gone from those first four games, and the one turnover the Giants offense did have in this game was that first possession where, you know, Saquon Barkley, after the game, this was after we were off there on the radio, took the blame for not picking up Jared Davis on the delayed blitz. Jones tries to check it down, tries to do the right thing. I'm not going to kill the quarterback on that. He gets hit hit as he throws the ball. It happens as... Pat Shermer eloquently put in his post-game um, press conference. Colorfully yes. put it. Yes. <laughs> but he was right. And and it is not, you know, that to me. And, and we've been honest, given honest analysis on Jones on some of the things where he's held the ball too long on certain plays and such. That wasn't one of those plays. It happens. So that touchdown is given up. Then the problem is that the defense then gives up a, a touchdown as well on a big play against, and Carl Banks and I talked about this on the Giants Rewind podcast, which will go up today. In a defense that's schemed up, they were in quarters, which is a four-deep defense where you have the two corners and two safeties. It was third and 15 play. They all play deep. The whole point is that you don't want to allow the big play. It's literally designed to prevent the big play. So what happens? Their wide receiver, Hall, who has four catches all year but has a 30-yard per catch average. He's their big play guy. He runs a deep post, crosses from one side of the field to the other, Everyone has their responsibility, except for DeAndre Baker. And Pat Shermer mentioned the outside responsibility in the postgame presser. He comes down and plays a guy running a short, shorter out route near the sticks, which is being covered by Grant Haley. No one's on the outside quarter of that field. Hall catch the ball over the top. Touchdown, 14-0. And I asked Daniel Jones that question at the end of the game. I said, Daniel, you know... I think the way I phrased the question specifically was that in a game where you guys moved the ball a lot better than you had against the Cardinals, against the Patriots, against the Vikings, it was easy to figure out, and and the turnovers, why you lost those games. Why do you think you lost this game? And the first thing he brought up was the early hole, and it was just too much for them to make up. Yeah, I mean, the turnovers are killer, John. No matter who's responsible for them, they're killer,
1: and... Like I said off the top of the show, it's not just them turning the ball over. It's the fact that the opposition is cashing in on those turnovers. So you spotted the Lions seven points without them doing much of anything. Now, keep in mind, this is how the game starts. Matthew Stafford and the Lions are marching down the field, okay? They did not have a problem moving the football down the field. Then Stafford, I don't know what he was thinking, and I listened to his commentary after the game, and he said yeah, he what was he say about indecisive. That throw? Yeah, because I it was also very curious to see where exactly he was going with the football, and he said just as he was thinking about throwing it, he was unsure should he put it over the top of the defense and really put some rocket underneath it. Which, by the way, or, I, th- I think that's the only place he could have put it. Exactly. Or try to give sort of a, a rainbow-esque throw. And so he said he just threw it right to He went basically in between <laughs> those two options. So This is exactly what he said. And all of a sudden, it sucks the momentum out of that Lions drive. The yeah. Giants get the ball. You figure, okay, maybe they can now take advantage of an early takeaway. And what happens? All of a sudden, the mm-hmm. Giants give the ball back. So, you know, that has been an ongoing trend early in these games. And... Also, the double-digit deficits, John. That's another part of it. It's not just the sluggish starts. It's the fact that the Vikings went up 10-0, the Patriots went up 14-0, the Cardinals went up 17-0, and the Lions went up 14-0. That means the common theme in all four of these losses is they have faced at least a double-digit deficit in the first half at some point. And you come back, you got to give the Giants credit. They've come back. They've pulled within one. They've tied the game in the New England case. But notice they've never reclaimed the lead in any of these games.
0: Yeah, and they had a chance in this game, too. They got the ball back in the third quarter in this game. There was—let me get the exact right time. The the Giants' defense had their only three and out of the whole game. The Giants get the ball back with 3.08 to go in the third quarter, down 24-19. And they drive the ball down the field. They get a nice slant to Golden Tate for 17. They even get a third and 10 conversion— on a defensive holding penalty. So they get new life on the drive. They have it first and 10 at midfield at their own 48-yard line. They run their flea flicker. Daniel Jones hits Golden Tate for what looks like a 14-yard game. Would have put the ball inside the 40-yard line of the opponent. Instead, Nate Solder was a little too aggressive on the run fake. Trey Flowers gets around him. He pulls him down to prevent, you know, Daniel Jones from getting hit. Or, you know, remember, Flowers gets there early enough. You can cause a fumble if the pitch is still happening with the flea flicker. It's a slower developing play. So soldiers like, look, I can't afford to let this guy get through here. I got to hold him. Now, the problem is that he got beat to begin with, obviously. But he commits a holding penalty. He puts him in the first and 20. They end up punting. The next play, the Lions run their throwback play. They score a touchdown. It's a two-score game. And at that point, down two scores in the fourth quarter, they couldn't make it all the way back. Yeah, well, it's another example, John, of a
1: trend we've been talking about, the negative plays the self inflicted wounds, right? How that is stalled drives. And, and there weren't many in this game, but that was that was a big one. Well and I'm glad you brought that up. There were five penalties against the Giants in this game, John. I would point though to the fact that all five of them were Killer in terms of the timing. First of all, you had two penalties on special teams, illegal blocks above the waist, which back you up after returns. You never want that. You're giving up field position. Especially
0: in a game where they had trouble on kick return, getting the ball back to the 25 yard line anyway. Benny
1: Fowler, offensive pass interference on, I believe it was a 17 yard gain. Now they recuperated, okay? They did. they did. They did. They regrouped. They scored a touchdown on that drive. So, okay, that one you manage. The holding call you brought up also comes right after you get a gift of defensive holding mm-hmm. from the Lions after Daniel Jones is sacked. So the Lions say, no, you take the field position. Then the Giants say back, no, 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 you take the field position. It was like a game of back and forth. You couldn't take advantage. And this was the killer penalty. Now, I'm sure fans are irate over it, and it was a bad call. But the bottom line, John, it went against the Giants, and that was the roughing the punter. Oh, but bad call. It was a horrible call. call. Yes, Yes, David Mayo's hand was on the ground, and Sam Martin, congratulations. The Academy Awards are coming up. And if they don't give him a nomination— in some type of category, it would be a huge disappointment. And th- and
0: that cost the Giants three yeah. points.
1: It was a hell of an acting job. I-, I know we're making light of a situation that did not help the Giants, but the truth was he sold it because that's all he did. He wasn't hit. He tripped over a finger that was in his way and put on a dog and pony show for the ref, and the ref fell for it. Yeah, it was unfortunate, and that gave the Lions a field goal. They didn't capitalize with a touchdown, but an extended
0: a drive. And the Lions were able to put points on the board. And then the Giants had a chance to maybe kick a 60-something-yard field goal the other way, which Rosas, by the way, is really capable of doing. We've seen it. Slayton drops a pass at the 45-yard line, going out of bounds. He's trying to get his feet yeah. in. So that prevented them from getting that three points back. Uh, and I'll, and we'll get to Daniel Jones last, because I thought he actually played a pretty yeah. good game. But let's just kind of put a bow on the defense here, Lance, because the problem you're running into here is that they had started to cut down on the big plays over the top. They kept things in front of them. Now tackling was an issue. There were other problems, runs after the catch and things like that. But they hadn't been giving up the plays over the top. Now those are back in this in this particular game. And going in, you knew the Lions liked to throw the ball down the field. It was part of their thing. And the Giants actually played that quarter's four deep coverage 40% of the time in this game. They knew that. That's why you play that coverage to prevent big plays. They made big plays anyway. On the flea flicker, they got caught creeping up a little bit, got beat over the top. He doesn't have the speed to recover. Um... But third down defense. Oh, my God. That's what I was going to get to. Yeah. Six of nine in the first half on third downs. And, Lance, here's the trick. These weren't even third and shorts. No, not at all. I, I'm going to go through a well, few got of them the here. I've got the list here. Oh, go ahead. If you, you want to go yeah, through no, it. No, I didn't haven't. mean to take go away your ahead. point. No, please.
1: I kept a tally throughout yeah, the game because it was mm-hmm. a theme. So a third and seven, a third and eight, a touchdown on third and 15, the Marvin Hall play, mm-hmm. a third and seven, a third and nine they converted, a third and two, but that was a touchdown. Uh, I'm sorry, no, the third and two later on in the game was yep. the touchdown to Galladay, a third and eight, and then that was the end of it because they finished up eight of 14.
0: In the first half, the only three third downs they did not convert were two third and 17s yeah. and a third and 14, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. So obviously, you better get off the field on those situations, right? So, you know, there just always seemed to be somebody open in the middle of the field, whether it was Danny Amendola or Kenny Galladay. Somebody is just always open and they somebody and they just can't figure out how to get off the field on third downs against better quarterbacks when they really need a play. And eventually Lance to win games like this, and I think this is a big point for this game, and we'll talk about it with the offense too. Team games come down to a handful of key plays. And we're at the point now, especially for the Giants defense. When those key plays come along, whether it's a third down or a shot down the field, whatever it is, they just can't seem to be able to make that play when it counts. When the rubber hits the road and the offense, the opposing offense calls their best play, they go to their best player, and they need to make that big play, they seem to just be consistently making that play. And the Giants just can't seem to get those stops when they need them. Yeah, Danny
1: Amendola, you brought up in terms of the middle of the field. Here's a telling stat: He was targeted eight times. John, he had eight catches. That's pretty good. There was not one incompletion that went the way of Danny Amendola in yesterday's game. And for he had 95 ha- yards. And by the way, he had half of those six third-down conversions in the first half. Well, and then how about Kenny Galladay? Who, by the way. His M.O. was every time Stafford goes to him, he picks up a first down. He was second in the NFL coming in, John. Chris Godwin of the Bucs was first. Godwin was 88.4% of the time. A throw to him leads to a first down. is that true? Yeah. Galladay, 88%. I didn't know that. Well, if you look at all the big plays that Galladay made, I don't remember Galladay having a catch less than a first down in yesterday's game. His longest, clearly, was the 41-yard touchdown. Well, he averaged 20 yards a catch. Well, there you go. So... (laughs) That's another issue in terms of letting him get loose on third down. This has been a problem, I would say, for the Giants over the last few years, John. And well, he
0: made some great catches, too, by the way, Galladay, with his hands. He did. Oh, boy.
1: Well, and that play, which was the throwback, it wasn't a flea flicker, even though a lot of people are classifying at it, when J.D. McKissick threw it back to Matthew Stafford and hit Galladay, you gotta give credit to the opposition. It was a nice design, and they executed.
0: And Stafford made a really nice throw. Yeah. Well, Stafford throws that behind him a little bit, maybe maybe they can make up that ground and knock it away. You know, the other touchdown to Galladay, too, Baker had good coverage. He reached back, snatched it out yeah, of it his hands. It was a jump ball. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Galladay just made a great play with his hands. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you look at that, and, and the defense, look, until the defense figures out a way, against good teams, to get off the field when they when they need to and to cause punts and to cause takeaways and to cause turnovers. We're going to be singing the same song on Mondays. It's just it just that's it. Until that gets fixed, it's been the one constant theme throughout the year, except for the Redskins game. And I think that might have had something to do with the opponent. That's so what we were talking about earlier this until season. Until that gets fixed, nothing's going to change. Well, and I 100%
1: agree with you and the the other thing to bring up in that Redskins game is the Giants turned the ball over four times and still won the game, which just goes to show you, I think it had something to do with the caliber of the opposition. So the Redskins turned it over four times? (laughs) Correct. Well, but what I'm saying is, even if you turn it over four times Mm -hmm. and you don't get four turnovers, highly unlikely you're going to win a game. And the fact that they were able to do that, I think says a lot about taking advantage of a young quarterback that was thrown into an NFL regular season game for the first time ever. But I want to piggyback off of a point you just alluded to. The other thing that needs to change in order for the Giants to start closing out games and winning is, when was the last time, John, during the week we all give a breakdown of the opposition and we talk about the weaknesses of the opposition with the Cardinals in terms of all of the issues they had, right, on the defensive side of the ball? The Lions could not stop the run, John. They gave up 100-yard runners in each of the last two weeks. When was the last time we came back on a Monday
0: and we talked about, hey, you know what, the Giants took advantage of a weakness of the opposition? I'm going to do that right now. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm going to do that right now. Heading into this game, we talked about how the Lions play a lot of man-to-man defense. Well, guess what? They played a lot of man-to-man defense. We talked about how their blitz rate wasn't very high, 15%. Well, they only put 17% of the time in this game. They pressured Daniel Jones on, I think, just under 20%, around 25% of his dropbacks. He had a lot of time in this game. He got pressured a little bit, but it wasn't anything severe. He had plenty of time to make throws. And without Darius Slay, their top cover corner... They had Melvin out there, Chris Ford I think was the other guy that was playing some corner late in the yeah. game, Mike Ford, I'm sorry. The Chris and, Ford coach of the Celtics. Nice basketball right. Yes, by, that, by no the way. problem. Yes. Um, Always like that. So they had those matchups and that's why Daniel Jones had success because he was able to go out there, pick out the matchups he liked and he trusted his wide receivers to make plays. This wasn't a game Lance where these giant wide receivers were just running wild in 3 in the secondary. He made small window Covered throws. Darius Slayton's two touchdowns. He was a wide open. No, Slayton made two great plays for his quarterback. He did. But you know what? Daniel Jones put the ball where he had to. Absolutely. He threw a nice back shoulder throw on one. The other one he threw it high. Melvin didn't get his head around. Both those plays were on Melvin, by the way. And they scored touchdowns late in the game. They had Ford one-on-one with Slayton. Slayton didn't make those particular plays. One I thought could have been pass interference. But, again, he trusted him against a corner That isn't It wasn't Justin Coleman that he went after. It wasn't Darius Slavis he didn't play he went after. It was somebody else, and he did a great job identifying the mismatches that he could on particular plays, and he made those plays. Same way, he got Saquon Barkley isolated on linebackers. Now he made a poor throw on that wheel route early in the game which could have went for a touchdown. He threw it out of bounds, but Barkley beat Jared Davis on the sideline. He beat Jared Davis on that angle route in the middle of the field. If, yeah, over the, middle. if the turf monster doesn't get yeah, Saquon, he, he's still running. And and that, that's a score. No one's catching him. I, I would
1: argue, no. I, I know a lot of people pointed out. It looked like Tracy Walker may have been able to catch him, John. No, because he did come in. Know. Once again, it's a hypothetical. Yes. I, I wasn't sold that it was an automatic touchdown. It was certainly going to be a much bigger game. Saquon, one-on-one in the open well, field I with a lot of grass. Him. I would absolutely give him yes. the edge. I'm just saying that I don't think it was as clear
0: of a path as. Some people make it well, out let me be, it this way: with the safety coming up. It over. was a 38-yard play. That would have went for 50-plus oh, at least I'm with if, you. if he doesn't stumble. I okay, And it would have put the Giants in the red zone with a chance to, to score. So he didn't miss some opportunities, no question about it. I mentioned that Slayton drop. So, But the bottom line is that as bad as the Lions' run defense was, the pass defense was just as bad. Just as bad. And Jones threw for over 300 yards. He threw for a high percentage. He didn't throw an interception. He saw that the Lions play men, and he had time. The offensive line, for the most part, until a couple drives at the end. And again, in big situations at the end, the offensive line didn't get the job done, much like at the end of the game last week, which is a problem. But for the most part, they took advantage of a weakness in the Lions and an injury at cornerback with Darius Slay, and the passing game did actually take advantage of it. No, that's fair. I guess I was looking
1: at it more from the Lions were 28th against the run. And But to the Giants' point, that took absolutely happened fair. with respect to the pass. No, but you're right they about that. They flourished with the pass. The one thing, though, that I didn't see them capitalize much on was the ground attack, 24 carries for 80 yards, but they did make plays through the air. Daniel Jones uh, was a solid performance overall in terms of his career-high four touchdown passes, uh, efficient for the most part. Was there one interception that he was fortunate to get away with in terms of the Justin Coleman pass, which was intended for Golden Tate? Coleman was right in front of him. Oh, he was on a
0: fourth down. That could have easily been an interception. I thought you meant the Walker play from the safety position in the first half when he came over on the deep yes, right on that the was sideline one. and almost got the okay, second Okay, so then footed. I would
1: classify it as two then, yeah. John. Mm-hmm. But you know the play I'm referring to
0: where Coleman was
1: right in front of Golden
0: That Tick. was actually a, one of the—again, we talk about making the big plays at the right time, right? That was a key fourth and five to keep a drive going at the end of the game to get the game to within one score. And the Lions actually blitzed seven. They blitzed seven guys and they went to zero coverage. And it was actually a really smart play by Coleman. And remember, that was a guy that Patricia targeted to bring over from the Patriots. The highest paid slot corner in the NFL. And and it's because he's a good player. So he knew that the the Giants did not have enough players to block for the quarterback. So he'd have to get rid of the ball quickly. So they had two guys running deeper routes on the sideline, the Giants. They had Tate one-on-one in the slot against Coleman. Golden Tate's an excellent slot receiver. I would trust him to win that matchup. So Coleman plays inside technique, which for fans that don't know, he's going to prevent the receiver from going inside. So if Tate's running straight, he angles himself towards the middle of the field so he can't cross his face, right? So Tate has to run the quick out. But Coleman anticipates the route, broke on the ball, got in front of him, knocked it away. And that is one of those bigger plays in bigger situations where the Giants didn't execute quite well enough. Yeah, they
1: wound up turning the ball over on downs on consecutive possessions uh, late in the game, mm-hmm. that was the first turnover on downs. And then, of course, it was the one where you were referring to Daniel Jones threw to Darius Slayton in the end zone twice, and it was broken up by Mike Ford. I actually thought the second of the two was a stronger case for pass interference as opposed to the one you were referring to. I thought it was to, the first one. But. Because the first one, to me, went right off his helmet. And I didn't even know if he was going to even be able to make a play. Well, regardless I, I think he did if you the corner think, didn't
0: run into him. Well,
1: I, I thought Ford made a decent play with his hand. I thought the second one was more of a bear hug for both ways and you could have easily Uh, made an argument there
0: and that's why the second one I thought was a bear hug both ways which is why and frankly I almost feel to an extent if the receiver is not even trying to go after the ball are you hindering remember the rule is right it has to be clear and obvious that you're hindering the receiver from making a catch well the receiver's not trying to make a catch no, I think that's a valid point, point. So, and actually, I don't know if it was— I got that one. I understood why that was a call. I thought the quarterback was way early on the one before that, which is— and by the way, I thought Jones could have made a better throw. He could have led him more towards the sideline to, to mitigate that contact. But at least that was my take. But the bottom line, guys, look, the refs are not what lost the game. No, the not at all. Not. And even if that play is reviewed, first of
1: all, there's no guarantee it's going to be overturned. And secondly, they still would have needed help after that in order to capitalize. That wasn't going to tie the game. So, you know, you have to look at it once again, from a big picture perspective. The only thing that I was going to add with respect to that last play, Darius Lane was actually asked about the fourth down pass yep. because he was asked, did you lose the football in the lights? Because to your point, I asked him that. Oh, you did. Actually, okay. I nice. wasn't sure. So <laughs> let's pat you on the back for that then. Okay. I didn't want to put you on the spot. <laughs> no, I didn't know okay. if you were the one yeah, that asked. Was. I just distinctly remember that question. I thought it was a good question. I don't know why I'm complimenting you again about that. But anyway, as we continue on unravel the Facts here, he then admitted, he said, and I actually like this out of Darius Slayton. Not that he was going to throw his quarterback under the bus, but he was the first one to admit, hey, I've got to do a better job looking back
0: for the football and locating it.
1: That's all he said. And, and by the way, way, that
0: was on point. And, he, and even if he didn't throw Jones under the bus, which he shouldn't have because it wasn't Jones' fault, of course not. he could easily said, oh yeah, I just lost it in the lights. It happens. So he actually took responsibility yeah, for it yeah. and took accountability for it, which is from a rookie, exactly what you want to see, by the way. All right. I think we touched everything on the game you want to touch on. I think we got everything I would in. agree. All right. Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. Enter in the ultimate VIP game day experience, courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464 for more details. Now, I already see the people on the line want to ask questions. And <laughs> we know about the reported trade. You also know the rules we operate under. We will say this about the trade that's been reported. We know it's out there. We cannot confirm it because it's not official. Due to NFL rules, since we are here on a team website you cannot discuss these things until the trade becomes official so we cannot discuss the specific parameters of the trade we can talk about the player involved so feel free to call ask us about that we can have that conversation but as for the trade itself it's not official so we'll have to dance around that as best we can 201-939-4513 again it's all presented by corzite let's go to the phones and say what's up to mike in new jersey he'll lead us off what's up mike Hey, how are you guys? Go ahead, Mike. What do you got? Uh, I had two questions. Sure.
2: Um, do you guys think the Giants use running back as receivers out of the backfield enough? Um, I think like I haven't seen that a lot since the Redskins game.
0: Well, I mean, I remember, Barkley had a 38-yard catch yesterday that could have went for a touchdown if it doesn't fall down, and Barkley was wide open on a wheel route down the left sideline that could have went for a big gain or a touchdown, but Jones overthrew him. So I think the opportunities are there. I think they're trying, and actually against the Cardinals... On the throw deep to Red Ellison, Barkley's running down the numbers on the left side of the field wide open. So if he doesn't throw it to Ellison, he could have thrown it to Barkley on that play. So while I don't think you're getting the production that maybe you would have thought before the season, I do think they're more involved than the numbers might indicate. Well, and Mike, keep this in mind. You know, it's
1: interesting you referenced I haven't seen it since the Redskins game. Okay, well, let's go back to the timeline. Barkley gets hurt in the Bucks game, okay? He misses a few games. He's by far your best receiving threat out of the backfield. Wayne Goldman is your second best receiving threat out of the backfield, and he gets hurt with a concussion that's in that game. Point. So your two best options have not actually been on the field consistently over the last few games. I think that's more of a reason why they weren't able to showcase what you saw a little taste of yesterday.
2: Okay, and um, how do you think a player like Leonard Williams will fit into the Giants' defense?
0: Well, as a player, and Mike, thanks a lot for the call. We appreciate it. Uh, Leonard Williams is an interior defensive lineman. Uh, the Jets are in a four three now. Uh, they under well, are they in a four three now? The Jets. Well, Greg Williams moves things around. Correct, he does. I know so, he does. I think yeah, traditionally I don't really think it's great to put it this way. He is traditionally an interior defensive lineman. He's not going to play yes. a lot of end. He's going to yeah. play mostly inside, with three technique type of guy. So, in a three four defense and base, he'd be one of those three guys at the line of scrimmage. Uh, if you're in a sub-package and there's four men at the line of scrimmage, he'll be that three-technique guy. You're not going to put him out at the edge, though he has done that a little bit for the Jets. Yes. Um, Generally speaking, over the course of his career, he's been a better run defender than he has been a pass rusher. Obviously a very talented player. He was a very high pick in the draft. Third, fifth overall when he got picked by the Jets, I think. Something he like was that. sixth overall. So, Sixth overall, thank you. So he's a guy that would help in those ways. Yeah, he's a
1: versatile defensive lineman that he can move around on the inside and the outside because he has experience at tackle and end. You're not going to see him as a linebacker, though, if that's what you're perhaps thinking, that they're going to bring him in and move him out of his comfort zone. I'd personally be surprised uh, unless James Betcher has some
0: trickery up his sleeve. Lance there aren't a lot of 300-pound linebackers.
1: Yes, around. so that's why I was going to say. No, because I think a lot of people, they look at Leonard Williams and they think pass rusher immediately. There are at least some people. Well, they time. shouldn't. No, they shouldn't. You're 100% right. <laughs> he but is, he's is not an edge player. He, he is a not. defensive lineman. He is not. He yes. has the ability to get to the quarterback though I I think you can certainly point to that his sack numbers are not through the roof but he's going to be a guy that's going to have to win the battles in the trenches they're not going to line him up
0: as a linebacker and look to gain momentum that way that I can tell you we have some open lines by the way folks 201-939-4513 hashtag Giants chat on Twitter we'll try to get some of your tweets along the way as well let's go back to the phone say hello to Ryan in Virginia he's up next hey Ryan hey what's going on gentlemen how y'all doing today what's up buddy doing all right Ryan what do you got for us? Uh, not,
3: not too bad. I um, just want to kind of um, touch base. I think one of you guys hit it right on the head uh, about the game on on Sunday. I really like the way the, the offense look, actually looked really good outside of the, obviously, the the little backwards lateral. And then the, well, the deep throw that was almost picked off. But uh, you guys hit it right on the head. It's, I know the Giants kind of have that bend, don't break mentality um, type of mentality. But you've got to get off the field. Um, the the, the defense can't um, keep third and seven, third and six, and, and just keep getting burned for first downs. And that's, I think that right there was, um, not going to say it was the backbreaker, uh, but it certainly didn't help us out that much at all. Well, Ryan, and, and, and then, and then uh, throw on
0: top of it, by the way, you're not a bend but don't break defense when you're giving up two touchdown passes that go for more than 40 yards. So, I mean, that's, if you're playing that type of defense, you can't give up big plays like that. It's just not going to work.
3: Yeah, exactly. And um, one, 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 one question I do have, um, how is – I know, obviously, Antoine Bethea is is a veteran. I know you guys were talking about, obviously, Julian Love potentially playing some safety. Um, how is he progressing along um, this year? I know the Giants right now are 2-6 and six, um, unless, you know, we win eight straight. There's really not much of a shot of us getting into the playoffs. Um, what? How is his uh, progression coming along because um, – that's one of the guys at the start of the year uh, I thought would see some time on the field. Obviously, he hasn't been on the field that much at all.
0: Now, Lance, unfortunately, we can't watch practice in the regular season, so it's really hard for us to tell.
1: Yeah, I thought Julian
0: Love got some work yesterday,
1: though. Tuesday did bring him in. Yes, it was limited. And Dayon De- Buchanan, by the way, is another guy we didn't bring up who we should mention. Got 11, 11 plays, right? right? Yep. 17% mm-hmm. of the snaps. Yep. I saw that correctly earlier. Man, and I had actually... plays, too. Yeah, he did. He was actually very helpful in terms of stopping the run a few times. As far as Julian Love moving forward, it's similar, Ryan, I think, to the approach with Corey Ballantyne, who unfortunately is still in concussion protocol. You know, they're now easing him in in special teams, and I think that was the game plan with Julian Love. And then little by little, as the season progresses and they start to build confidence in him during practice, I don't think it's crazy to think that, his workload, the amount of defensive snaps that he'll get will continue to increase. But, you know, they're not just going to throw in those guys like baptism by fire if they feel that they have more experienced players at that position. But in the second half of the season, I don't think it's a stretch at all to perhaps think about seeing Julian Love in some of those different circumstances.
3: Yeah, and then uh, one more one more thing. Uh, thanks. Uh, again, I think a lot of people are are not giving a lo- enough love to, to Gettleman um, in these past two, especially with these past two drafts. Um, especially with, with Connolly, even though he's down for the year, he really looked like a, a missile being shot um, <laughs> out of a tank or anything uh, playing that linebacker spot. Darius Slayton, another late-round draft pick. Um, Dexter Lawrence, who who's not getting enough love. I don't know if you guys can look it up, but I saw a – an article um, through Pro Football Focus. He was one of the highest graded um, defensive rookies. Yep,
0: yeah, I, I think I, I,
3: I that. Yeah,
0: I think he was the highest before this week, if I remember
3: correctly. Yeah, yeah and and with drafting guys, I don't know if you brought in Lorenzo Carter. I think with, with B.J. Hill, I think I know this year hasn't been hasn't been the greatest, but I think you got to give Gattelman the fact that he's cleared up a lot of cat space. I think you got to give that guy a lot. A lot of credit when I, and after that, man. I take the I take the answer off the air. Like I appreciate everything you guys do. I live in Virginia, so um, I can't catch it on a daily basis. But I look forward to you guys' podcast every day. No, thank you, Ryan. Right, we appreciate right. that, and
0: doing. and that's the big reason we do these because you know a lot of the folks that are out of state and out of city uh, don't get a lot of Giants content. So we're happy to help you. Yeah, and I think you have to feel good about a lot of these draft picks so far. Obviously, Saquon, Saquon. You know, Will Hernandez has been a starter. You know, Lorenzo Carter has not shown quite the pass rush um, progress you would have liked to see, but he's shown you a little bit of something. B.J. Hill's been a quality starter as a third-round pick. Uh, I think Darius Slayton has outperformed a fifth-round draft slot. Connolly had been outperforming a a fifth-round draft slot. And, you know, Baker's been up and down. He had a couple really good coverage plays in that game down the field, but then he had the mistake we talked about. You know, Daniel Jones has shown some things, but... Yeah, I think so far the draft classes look good, but I would always hesitant, Lance, and we talk about this all the time. Even after a season and a half, I'm not willing to judge a draft class yet. We got to wait a little bit longer, yeah. and eventually, and and look, Dave will be the first one to say this. You, you, you're in this business to win games, right? Eventually, the proof has got to gotta be in the pudding. So, and he knows everyone knows that, you know. But it, it's it gotta takes translate. time. Look, NFL things don't don't happen like this. It's no, guys don't step in and are great right away. It's not how it works. But I think the early signs in a lot of these guys are extremely, extremely positive.
1: Well, a lot of these guys are playing. I think that's the larger right. point. So mm-hmm. they're getting quality reps as you ran through the majority of the personnel. And you hope with the additional reps comes improvement. To your last point, and you need sometimes three to four years to get a good grasp of a draft class overall. You know, there have been a lot of times where we've gone back and we've looked at previous draft classes, and unfortunately, sometimes an entire class was no longer on the roster, and it's very hard to maintain a competitive team for any squad. It's impossible. Okay? Actually, interestingly connected to this, and I know nothing's official, but the Leonard Williams trade, the Jets and I don't think I'm wrong, I think I read this correctly, have no members of their 2015 draft class anymore on the roster. Yeah, I believe that's correct. So, he was the last member of that class. That was Idzik's class. class, if I remember yes, correctly. Yes, now, and that mm-hmm. happens sometimes when you bring in a new GM, and that GM and that coach is not connected to those draft class members. They have no ties. It's a little bit easier for them to move on from those players. The same thing can be said for Pat Shermer and Dave Gettleman and in parting ways with some draft picks from the old regime. So, you know, that's not necessarily anything unique For the Giants, I think you see that trend across the league. But Dave Gettleman understands, especially if you go back to what he did in Carolina, you need to come through with your draft picks. You cannot build a team through free agency alone. You cannot go on a spending spree every single offseason, John, and expect that that is going to solve all of your issues. And... The Giants, remember, made that big splash in 2016. It gave them instantaneous gratification for that one season. It was not sustainable, and I think Dave Gettleman understands that because if you go back and you look at how he built his team in Carolina, he did not throw money at the wall and see where it would stick. He did a combination of the draft, and he also invested in some of the guys that were previously drafted to make sure that he could build the nucleus that way. Let's
0: go to Ron in New Jersey. He's up next. Hey, Ron. Hey, guys. How we doing, Ron? What's
1: up?
2: Um, so just going, not talking about this potential trade that may or may not have happened. Um, but I, I even I just saw a report from me in that report that the Giants are open to dealing Jenkins, Ogletree, and Solder. And my, my thing is, at, at what point are we going to stop selling off like any of our good players? Like, for example, this team needs a cornerback going into next season with Jenkins. He, he's still our best corner by a mile. Uh, you know, he had the rough game in Tampa, but overall, he's had a solid season. He catches the ball when he has a chance to make a play on it. At some point, we have to build some strengths here. I mean, how long are we going to keep stripping down all our veteran players and and try to actually win some games?
1: Well, I think with any player, and once again, anything you're reading is pure speculation. Keep that in mind, Ron. You know, th- there's nothing substantive at this point, And there's a lot of guys that are dangled out there on the trade market because the trade deadline is going to be tomorrow and we've seen a lot of wheeling and dealing. I will say this. I think most GMs will tell you this is not just for the Giants. You never aim to get rid of your quality players to your point. But if somebody blows you away with an offer and is willing to give you unbelievable return in terms of future assets, I think you listen regardless of how good that player is. I think that's a part of being a general manager. So if somebody wows you and really wants the player that you have and you went into the season saying, you know what, we're not going to get rid of him, but hey, what we could do with what we get in return, I don't think it's crazy to listen. doesn't mean you pull the trigger well, for. Well,
2: look, obviously I, I, I want them to listen because somebody could do something foolish, but... Exactly. I mean, do you think it's worthwhile to trade Genovese Jenkins for like a third-round pick? I don't think that's making us better. I think that makes us worse. And it's just a gamble on a player that... Based on odds, it's not
0: going to be good down the line. Look, Ron, I I think the point that you make, and I'll attack I'll it from this aspect, is a good one, and and we appreciate the call. Thank you very much. Good stuff. When you trade players that are starting few with premium positions, right, and left tackle is a premium position, as we well learned here over the course of four or five years as the Giants tried to find one. Cornerback, premium position, right? And I think the point Ron made is good is that you have to – and then this part of his point was good, you have to eventually replace those guys. Absolutely. So what's your cost of replacement? If your cost of replacement is going to be significantly higher than the cost of the current player, plus the cost to retain that player, then that'll impact whether or not you make the trade, right? But if your return gives you better value and less cost than the cost of what you currently have, then it makes sense. So that's the... Whatever phone calls, and again, we're not obviously commenting on who's available and who's not or commenting that at all because we don't know that. Only Dave Gettleman and the other people do. We respect Ian. He obviously is a good reporter. Yeah, but, and I'm not questioning his reporting. Yeah, it's just no, it's speculation correct. at this point. And, and, and that and and that's all we're going to treat it as. That's, that's, that's the answer that Dave Gettleman has to figure out whenever he gets an offer for the player. Is what you're getting for him going to be – a higher value of what it costs to replace the player that you're trading, because eventually you can't play with no left tackle. You can't play with that a really good starting quarterback. You got to replace those guys at some point too, right? So, is that cost worth it? Remember, the Giants are you know they're in very good cap situation next year already. They don't need more space per se. More space never hurts, but they're not you know uh, cap strapped per se. And the other thing you look at too. With these trades, is the salary implications? Because if you trade guys with a lot of prorated signing bonus left, that money gets accelerated, and that causes salary cap issues too. So, and you know, we saw that with with the Beckham trade, how that affected the cap with money getting accelerated and all that stuff. So, all those things get put into the cauldron when you decide whether or not you're going to make any of these trades.
1: Well, and the other part of the equation, and I agree with everything you said, John. When you go back to the stacks trade last year, part of it was they wanted to give playing time to some of the younger defensive linemen on the team. Who's behind that player? Correct, Correct. so who's on the depth chart? What have we seen in practice? Are we ready to allow them to spread their wings? So it goes back to the caller before, Ron, who was asking about, I believe it was Ryan, Julian Love. If they start to see something in practice, John, and they say, hey, guys like Corey Ballantyne and Julian Love are at the point where we're comfortable throwing them
0: out there. Sam Beal healthy to return now too, and eligible to get back. Okay,
1: that's another key factor here. If we feel as if we're getting our depth back, we feel those guys are more than capable of being thrown out and they can execute at the level we want, You know, then that's something else that you consider as to why you want to part ways with a player. That, combined with the finances, is always something that you have to take into consideration. The other thing that's interesting, which has become a trend, and you know, Janoris Jenkins, keep in mind, Jenkins does not have an expiring contract. Jenkins is still under contract for 2020. This also goes into what you can get into return, John. We're seeing a lot of players being And so shipped. there is
0: two more years, yeah. by the way.
1: But some teams feel they're willing to give up draft picks if they know that they're not renting the guy right. for a year. For example... You look at Amari Cooper, the trade last year. Okay, the Cowboys knew they'd still have him for an entire year before they would have to worry about his expiring deal after this season. You look at some of the deals that have taken place over the last few weeks. Jalen Ramsey. Okay, there's another guy who doesn't necessarily have an expiring contract. And also the Mohamed Sanu trade which I think is a good example. The Patriots, they acquired Mohamed Sanu, and people were like, well, why are the Patriots giving up John a second-round pick? Well, Mohamed Sanu's not an expiring contract. They still retain his rights for next year. So all of that (laughs) gains value in terms of a trade situation.
0: And you also take a look at if a guy is on an expiring deal, what you get in return as opposed to what you might get in terms of a compensatory draft pick if he hits free agency. So that's another thing that you weigh in the equation, too. So it's not easy. To do this, there's a lot of moving parts when you're trying to make any sorts of trades in the NFL. Jason in New Jersey's up next. Hey, Jason.
4: Hey, how's it going, guys? One second.
0: No problem, Jason. What do you got for us? Yeah.
4: So I got a couple points, and I want to take too much of your time. First, I want to say, um, you know, I, I don't, I, I really, truly don't think it's a player's problem, and I'm going to tell you why. We would agree that. You know, let's say twenty percent of the guys are rookies. They're just getting on the field, trying to acclimate, and and so I have to just go. I have to go with coaching, and and I I don't know where Betch is going, but you know, it's obvious that. Um, these guys playing zone. It's, it, although it works in other places with other veterans, it's not working
0: here. No, but Jason, Jason, <laughs> Jason, real quick, real quick. They yeah. no, they played heavy man the first two games and got absolutely annihilated.
4: Yes, they did. But <laughs> I'll, blame, I'll blame that on them being rookies. And again, don't get me wrong, but you see, we've seen a very big difference in Baker when he was when he when he plays press man coverage. He's on his guy, and even yesterday. He was, I mean, he was right on that play.
0: Yeah, so, but again, no, but he he, he wasn't he wasn't impressed, man. On those plays, though, he was an off man.
4: Yes, I get it. My point is, is this: at some point, they got to make the adjustments and say, "Okay, wait a minute, this, our, our 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 middle of the field is just a target. I mean, everybody just hits that target, and it's just like you know, it's disappointing to hear wide open seventeen times a game. I mean, you guys got to agree with me. I mean, I mean, I, I'm not the most know uh, knowledgeable in football and and don't get me wrong i've been a giant fan for over 30 years but i know there's rhythm to the rhyme and i know that you guys have a good better grip than i do no, all I'm okay. saying is looking, looking at it from the outside as a fan all you know i'm just sick of hearing wide open <laughs> no no and no I, trust uh, me get
0: it trust me no we get it we get it um yeah
4: and, and then, the other, then the other thing i was gonna say was <clears throat> you know Go flipping, the, flipping it over to the to the offense. Now they've been. I, I gotta say they played a great game on on Sunday, and uh, there were some things that obviously could get cleaned up. But but for the most part, but again, I think it's coaching. I think I think if Schumer would just let the guy, uh, yeah, let him call the plays, run it by you. Of course, he's got the headset on. If he does things, he can jump in. Could be doing a little bit more with his feet, but he's getting locked into these other plays, and it, it, it's just—I uh, think—I think it would be a little more explosive if, if, if he did that. You know, I, again, uh, you guys are the gurus. And well,
1: and, Jason, you know, I think too. you got to walk a fine line in, in terms of if you want to run the quarterback. Well, thank you, Jason. A bit we more. Gotta yeah, we're, we're getting some feedback on yeah. your end, mm-hmm. so we do appreciate the phone call. We'll let you go on that note. When you say, you know, you want to see the quarterback run a little bit more, you want to see them get him out of the pocket, you got to be careful because then you're going to expose your quarterback to some hard hits. And there was a play yesterday where Daniel Jones was sliding and they called, you know, roughing the passer. And Daniel Jones, on a designed run play, what are you going to, supposed to do is a defender you know if he's not giving up you're going to go after the quarterback yeah that's a while just up during the head yeah and that's just today's NFL so I don't want to go off on a whole tangent about the rule book but the point is Daniel Jones took a hit on that play how many hits do you want to expose your quarterback to like that how many quarterbacks Starters have gone down this season, and not because of even those hits. Daniel Jones running is not the answer to yeah. any problems. So, the Giants I, when you having. say you know you
0: want to see more creativity, I just don't think that's the route to go. Lance, no matter who the offensive play caller has been for the Giants as we've been doing the show, I've gotten calls complaining about their creativity. Of every course. single one. It, it's every single. I mean, one.
1: going back to the days with Kevin Gilbride as the offensive coordinator, we were fielding calls. I don't think it's been any different, no matter what you do at OC. So that has carried over, whether it be Gilbride, McAdoo, you name it. uh, That's always been a part of the conversation. And the funny thing that I find, when plays work, everything is like rainbows and lollipops. When the play breaks down, then it becomes the inquisition as to who should be the play caller, what they should have done, and that's football. I understand, but I think while it may be the boring answer A lot of the issues for the Giants this year, I think, stem from the lack of execution. And I know people just don't want to hear that, but there's truth and validity behind that. It's just not being in the right spot, missing a tackle, not winning your man-on-man bottles in the trenches, not making a pass when it's thrown your way, a catch, I should say. What does that have to do with coaching? I I just don't understand. Darius Slayton was wide open right before the end of the first half. He took his eyes off the football. He dropped it. That's a scheme issue? On the two-point
0: conversion, he was wide open, and Daniel Jones threw it into the ground.
1: He threw it into the ground. How can Slade make the catch? It's not as if guys are not making plays and they're not open. So, you know, we could point to a variety of those examples. I get the frustration. I understand Giants fans want to see this thing turned around, and they want to see it translate to wins, but you've got to now start to look at the frustration and take a big-picture look and understand that For it to just be scheme, I don't think you're getting a good grasp of what's going on game in, game out. I think a lot of it, once again, has to do with guys just are not making plays consistently. And
0: I'll give you—I did a quick pro football focus sort here, just real quickly. They track how quarterbacks do against certain defenses, right? And this is—guys, this is not going to be pure. This is what I could do in in short notice. I tried to take opponent quarterbacks against man versus zone. So against man this year, giant opposing quarterbacks, and this is cover one, which is one safety deep, cover zero with no safeties deep, and then man with two safeties Tuesday. deep. So that generally covers all your bases with that. Uh, opposing teams are 64% completions, which against man defense is very, very high. There's the whole point in playing man defense is to prevent more completions. You might give up bigger plays, but you prevent completions. 64%, 13.45 yards per catch. Which, which is, is also pretty big, extremely high. Seven touchdowns, two interceptions, forty-eight to seventy-five for six hundred forty-six yards. Matthew Stafford in the game yesterday was four of six for fifty-seven yards against man. Just as an example, again zone this year, hundred for 75 percent completions. It makes sense again against zone, you're going to have a higher completion percentage. Twelve point seven yards per catch, which is a little bit lower. Four touchdowns, four interceptions. So you're getting a couple more turnovers and. And fewer touchdowns in that situation. So neither one is good. <laughs> but I, I, every time the Giants seem to bring pressure and play Man Lance, it doesn't seem to go well. It just in my opinion, that's what I've seen. And I watch the tape every week. And I think this is what we run into. New York has a pattern, and this is not just the Giants, okay? It's how it works. This is the order in which fans blame people. They blame the coach, they blame the GM, they blame the best player on the team, or in the NFL's case, the most important player on the team, the quarterback, and then they figure the rest out. Huh. And here's why. There's a psychology behind it. Is it easier to say, we need to change this whole roster, or is it easier to say, if we change just one guy, everything's going to be fixed? One guy, always the solution. Right, and it never works that way. You can't get rid of 53. 53. The Knicks have been trying to change one guy for twenty years. It doesn't work. Yeah, <laughs> guys, it, it's 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 the easy thing is, is is to go after the coaches. I get it. And look, the coaches will tell you the team's two and six. Everyone's to blame. The coaches have their share in this too. They know that. But after the game, the Giants players themselves came out and said, and Jabril Peppers was one that was emotionally doing it. We didn't have it on the air on the radio. We missed him. He came out late after we had to wrap up. But he said, guys, look, the coaches are putting us in position to make these plays. We're in the right schemes. You know, they're watching tape. They're telling us these teams' tendencies, and they're right. But we're not doing what they're telling us to do. And the Baker, not the Baker, the Hall touchdown was a perfect example. They were in the perfect coverage to stop that play. But a player did not execute his responsibilities, and they get beat. And that's all it takes.
1: Yeah, it's very similar once again, not to get off topic and I understand Giants fans are focused on just their team, but the Falcons are one in 7. Julio Jones, you know, came out after one of their most recent games and in front of the entire team, you know, said everybody's got to look at each other in the mirror right now and look at themselves in the mirror most important and understand that the coaches are doing everything in their power to put us in the right positions to succeed and we're just not making plays and you know the Falcons are very similar to the Giants in terms of where they are in the standings of the issues they have. And they have an immense amount of talent, too, on that team. And they have, you could argue, more veteran presence than the Giants do. And they're still I mean, lacking Ryan, execution. Correct. Sense. Exactly. So, once again, is it easy to say, get rid of Dan Quinn and everything's going to, once again, turn things around? Well, they got rid of Mike Smith. And you could argue there were some issues on that end. And not everything is sitting pretty with the Atlanta Falcons. So... You know, the more and more you get into the mindset of changing a coach here or there, all you do is you then create no consistency within your franchise. And I brought this up on the postgame show. I'll rehash it for those of you who may not heard it. There's a reason why franchises who constantly change things, whether it be members of the coaching staff, the head coach, and they have trouble winning consistently, making the playoffs, is because they don't preach patience. And the one thing that the Giants have done, whether you like the results or not, they don't make changes for the sake of making changes. And I always say that's the right way to go as opposed to being a revolving door where, well, it doesn't work immediately for us, so now we're going to go
0: in a different direction. It, it just, that does not help your franchise in the long run. Two zero one We'll take these four more calls, then we'll say goodbye. Um, and of course, we'll be back with you tomorrow on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Bruce and Albany's up next. Hey, Bruce.
5: Hi guys. I I'm one of those frustrated Giants fans, but now that you've explained they just can't play football, I feel a lot better. <laughs> Bruce,
0: that, that 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 that's not quite what we said. That's but, an interesting translation. Uh, I I understand what you're saying.
1: <laughs>
5: anyway, Congra- congratulations start, Bruce, you have the line of the show. The yes, go ahead. We've got a guy, he's probably the littlest guy in the defense, and he's the hardest-hitting best tackler on the team. You know, Bruce, I'm, Bruce I'm
0: happy you said that, by the way, because a lot of people like to take shots at Grant Haley, and yeah, he gives up some catches, which, by the way, covering Danny Amendola one-on-one is no easy thing for anybody. That dude yeah. tackles as yep. good as anybody on that defense, and I'm happy you brought that up. Grant Haley also had a sack let's, yesterday,
5: too, let's yeah. not forget. Last week, they ran two sweeps to his side, and he had a 1,000 pounds of meat coming at him. And on neither play did he make the tackle, but he took on two offensive linemen. He's, I think he's 185 pounds. <laughs> Blew up both of those plays. I, I don't know who actually made the tackle, but I ran it back, uh, and uh, I said, I said to my wife, I said, this is how you win football, right?
3: You're right, said, absolutely. This
5: little guy, take this whole pile on. And he took them all down. It was, it was like a bowling ball. He And he had seven tackles on the day. Now, I don't know. His coverage... He's got a tough job. I mean, like you say, covering Amandella is real real tough. But the other thing is, this is something I don't understand. And and you got into it with the zone versus man to man. But they did it last week. They did it this week. First, third down. It's like third and four, third and five. I look, and uh, DeAndre Baker is about five yards off the receiver. Then he drops back another five yards on a third and four. He's 10 yards off the receiver. I can get a first down if all I got to do is run five yards and turn around. It, it, the quarterback sees that. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, honestly, I would have to look at look at the specific play, but if your yeah, point is that it.
5: it's amazing. I, yeah. They do it all the time. It'll be third in, in a, you know three, third and four. Inter ten yards off the receiver. And I'd say, you know, that's just insane. You're, you're just giving it to
0: him. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because actually, we we talked to Daniel Jeremiah on our other podcast, uh, the Giants Huddle, a couple weeks ago, and he actually made the point. And he was one of the first. Maybe I heard it from one of the draft analysts. He actually thinks that Baker, long term, is going to be a much better off man player than than bump than than a bump and run type press man guy. He's not sure he has the 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 physical quicks to stay with guys in press man. So I think that's something that Bears watching how Baker develops as a press guy as opposed to an off guy. I think that'll be a big part of his development. We've seen better things from him, but, I, you know, we, look, we talk going into the year, right? Rookie corners, you're going to have mistakes here or there. You hope they don't cost you. we see some good plays from him that helped the team, and we see some bad plays that have hurt him.
5: Well, I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying I don't know no, how you I know. play I hear off. You. When, it's, when it's third and three, how do you play off? How do you, how, do you, how, do you, how do you ten yards down the field when it's third and three? It doesn't make any sense.
1: Well, once again, it goes back to I don't know what they're telling him or what part of the defense he's responsible for. It's hard to know, Bruce, and I'm not doubting what you're seeing. Uh, I did remember seeing a number of plays yesterday too, where they were playing off of the guys. I don't know if it's the exact play that you're referring to, but without knowing what the defensive scheme is calling for him to do or what his assignment is, thank you, Bruce. We got to run. It's hard to comment under those circumstances uh, as to why he was in that spot in that circumstance you know sometimes it's what they see on film out of the player and they may be a little bit concerned about a certain look for that wide receiver and they feel the right game plan is to play a little bit off of him
0: I always mess up this guy's name I always say Trey and then he corrects me but I don't remember what he corrects me to so I'm going to say it's Trey in Philadelphia (laughs) do I have that right you got it right yeah (laughs) I remember right there we go perfect what's up
6: a um, couple of questions. I know you guys got to go. I mean, you no, guys okay. talk about the, hello.
0: No, go ahead. Go ahead. You're fine.
6: Uh, you guys talk about the lack of execution, and it seems like we talk about this every lawhouse. So, could that be a personnel problem? I mean, maybe we should shake things up in that that defense a little bit.
0: No, Trey. Look, look, uh, no, Trey. You're hit it. I mean, look, execution is about how well the players play, and I think we should kind of reverse back to the, our conversation before and. That's what Dave Guetta has been trying to do over the last two years in rebuilding this roster, is getting the right guys in here to execute properly. But the problem is that when you play so many, and the coaches don't like to use this excuse, but we're outside observers, we can say it, when you're playing so many young guys, this is what you get. You get mistakes. That's why, look, Trey, if you look at the teams that go deep in the playoffs, you know what they have in common? They don't play a lot of young players. Correct. You know what I mean? It's, it's just, unfortunately, it's just the way it goes.
1: Because most of the young players are depth. They're not necessarily starters. I mean, look For at the, the Giants.
0: Andre They're... Dillon wasn't even going to play yeah. this year. He was a first round pick. Yeah,
1: because they have that luxury. But the Giants are not necessarily in the same luxurious position. So, right. you know, when you have rookies, you're going to get flashes, Trey, and then you're going to get down games, which we've already seen with a lot of these rookies.
0: Or he'll look great for one quarter, then he'll look yeah, bad for the it'll be one.
1: up and down. It'll be inconsistent. Yeah. Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. So I, I think <laughs> that the coaching staff understands that going in. It, it doesn't mean, though... Trey, to your point that it's acceptable no, correct. that the coaches are then leaving the games and saying, oh, you know, we got a young roster. It is what it is. You know, they're still coaching these right. guys up. They're still correcting the film. But I think if you look at it once again from a big-picture perspective, this shouldn't be a stunning development that young players are having their ups and downs in year one of the National Football League. All right,
6: two more two more questions, guys. Yeah. Um, the next one is um, – I know that the trade is not, uh, you know, uh, permanent or... Well,
1: whatever, not official.
6: But it seems like we have a lot of interior guys already. So who will... I mean, he's going to eventually start. So who, who place will he take if the trade is, you know, true?
0: Trey, you ask a really good question. Olsen Pierre gets a number of snaps each game. I imagine that would be number one on the list. How the rest of the ones would be split up if this thing could would go down at some point, I honestly don't know. Uh, I look forward to Coach Shermer's Thursday press conference if this thing ever does officially happen, and maybe he'd be able to give us more of insight into that. I, I think it's a real good question. Lance and I had, a, had an off-air conversation about the same thing, and I, I think it's a real good question. I don't have a good answer for you right now. Yeah, the only thing right. that I will okay, throw out, man. Trey, yeah, b- before, one other
1: point I just wanted to piggyback off of what you said. There has been a trend across the NFL, especially I always bring up the Eagles, where you know they rotate defensive personnel to make sure they're fresh in the fourth quarter, and you go back to, remember, when Spags was the defense defensive coordinator, he would play the guys 90% of the downs, John, and why did he do Gosh. that? Because he couldn't afford to bring them off the field. JPP, Olivier Vernon, and I think more and more teams are saying to themselves, we don't want to put ourselves in that position. So I don't know if it's necessarily going to take away snaps. It may just decrease everybody across the board if they want to make sure that guys are fresh in the fourth quarter.
6: Okay, my last question, and i take it off the air. Um, in the off season, besides linebacker position, what do you guys Want to see? um, What would you like to see? uh, Far as the defense, um, what would you like that position to be filled far in the off season? And thanks for taking my call, guys. No problem, Trey.
0: Trey. Um, I think linebackers won. He said that already. Uh, You want to try to bring another safety, depending on where Julian Love is. If they see him as a corner or safety, if they see him as a safety, then maybe not. But if you see him as a corner, then maybe a safety spot. Um, you can't have enough cornerbacks and pass rusher. I mean, look, you need pass rushers, guys. Marcus Golden's been good, but, you know, he's not Khalil Mack, which is fine. You don't expect him to be Khalil Mack. But he's, you know, he 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 could be your secondary guy. He's not your primary guy. So I think you always try to find more pass rush. And I think the, the Giants, it's funny. Like the Giants' sack numbers, Lance, I think are a lot better than we thought they were going to be at this point of the year. But I still don't think the pass rush has been impactful enough consistently throughout games. Like, I know Stafford, oh, that's got, a great point. Stafford got sacked, what, twice yesterday? Yeah. He got sacked twice? Did you feel like he was under pressure at all in that game?
1: No, I, I did not. I, I think that they're consistent in terms of, he was sacked actually four times. He had, f- uh, that's a, th- yeah.
0: it didn't feel that it way It didn't feel though. like that, no. Th- that's the point. Yeah,
1: because now that I think about it, we talked about Grant Haley had a sack. So a couple of guys picked up sacks. Golden had two quarterback hits. He did not have—he had one sack and two quarterback hits. Grant Haley had a sack, as I mentioned. Lorenzo Carter had a sack. Dalvin Tomlinson had a sack. But the thing is, they come on separate drives. For example, Trey Flowers, back-to-back sacks. Chandler Jones, right? Back-to-back sacks. When you think about the opposition that they've gone up against— those are impactful plays where you're seeing it consecutively. You're seeing the quarterback have to get rid of the football. It leads to a turnover. We're seeing a sack in one possession. Then a little bit later on in the game, we're seeing another sack. And, and, and it maybe gives it a
0: negative play, but then nothing more to it. And, like, for example, the Carter sack was for minus two yards. It's not like these are, you know, Significant back, losses. And you get minus eight, and he gets sacked in two seconds. A lot of it's, all right, the quarterback holds the ball a little bit, moves around a little bit. Then he gets it, and he goes down. So I would still focus on pass rush. And, look, you always need more cover guys. The way the secondary is played this year, if you come in and say that, you know, you don't need more cover guys, you always need more cover guys. You just do. 201-939-4513. We'll knock out these two more calls before we say goodbye and go to Nick in New Jersey, who's up next. Hey, Nick. Hey, guys.
2: Um, basically, I want to tell you this. Okay, this I don't I don't want to hear about rookies and everything and new players on the field because this team has been consistently losing since 2012. Okay, except for that one year we went to the playoffs with MacaDon, and the everybody went to Miami. Okay, okay and dropped touchdown passes. All right. Uh-huh. So I don't want to I don't want to hear about rookies on the field. Okay, because this team was one one game one game out of first place when we played Minnesota. One game.
0: Nick, it was and week five. we
2: played duds. We've laid duds every single week since then, okay? And it, it's it's unacceptable. It's ridiculous. This team is horrible. I hate them. I can't stand watching them. You know, I, I, I'm done with them. I'm done with them. And the only, the only person I feel sorry for is John Merrick. Because he feels like I feel today. All right? This team sucks. Bye.
0: Okay, thank right. you for the insight, Dick. Well, despite your opinion, we appreciate you still tuning into the show. <laughs> thank you for that.
1: <laughs> Can't stand them but still wants to hear a conversation about him on a daily basis. I always hey, look, find that look, interesting. And look, and look,
0: all jokes aside, guys, we get it. I mean, we, we sit here and take calls every day, and we've been doing it since 2012. No one knows better than we do that the team hasn't won a lot of games. Trust me. We hear about it <laughs> every day. We know. And that doesn't mean that the same problems have been in effect since 2012. Every loss is different. Every year is different. Every team is different. And And the personnel changes too. I think Nick probably thinks that we're using youth as an excuse. That's not what we're trying to do here, folks. We're analyzing why these things are happening. There's no losing is okay because. That's not what we're doing. We're explaining why. It doesn't make it okay It doesn't mean the coaches are accepting it. It doesn't mean that John Mara is accepting it. It doesn't mean that the general manager is accepting it. It doesn't. But you break down a team. You break down personnel. You break down a game. You break down what happens over the course of a season, and you try to figure out the why. That's all we're trying to do is figure out the why and the how, and that's what we're trying to do here. We're not trying to make excuses for anything or for anybody. Yeah, and as far as his
1: comment about, you know, they were a game behind first place. Yeah, that's, that's we're talking small. about a small sample size, so two I don't and two. really yeah take much of anything away from that comment. And the other thing is not to, you know, have a conversation and go back to where we were talking about how a few weeks ago, in my opinion, I just constantly said there's no layups in the National Football League. Can we please stop having the over John, of the schedule because what has happened over the last two weeks is they lost to the Cardinals and the Lions. And how many calls did we field about the schedule is opening up and it's going to get much easier for the Giants? Stop overlooking opponents in the National Football League just because they don't have a lot of fantasy names on your fantasy roster. I agree with you. But I, I just, I'm tired of having this conversation. Winning in New England's a lot harder than winning at home well, against the Cardinals. I, I will give you that, but I just I'm tired of you look at a group of personnel and you see that you know maybe they struggled the previous week. And remember, what do we talk about? The NFL is all about matchups. Just because one team performed one way against another opponent doesn't mean right. it's going to duplicate it the following week it just you can't keep looking at well this team statistically has struggled so therefore the giants are just walk over them and it should be a layup that's just not how the NFL works
0: well and i think the more and i think you're you're on the right track here especially in the fact that the giants are not in a position where they cannot play one of their better games and still win you know, this isn't the 2008 season where you have all these, you know, super talented veterans dominating games where, you know, if you come in one week and you're playing, you know, the Bucks at home and you play your C-plus game, you're good enough to win still. That's not where the Giants are right now. If the Giants want to win against any, pretty much any team in the league or at least 95% of the teams in the league— they have to come and play their, you know, B-plus to A game.
6: Yeah, they I, have to. I would
0: say A-plus more, mistake-free yeah, football. They, ha- they have to play a really good game. That's just where we are. That's where the team is right now. So, yeah, might some games be a little bit easier than others based on location, opponent, and things like that? Sure. But that doesn't mean that anything is sure to a victory. That's not how the league works especially not when you're in a situation where the Giants are in terms of where they are in the process of their rebuild.
1: Absolutely. I echo so your sentiments. Is. I mean, that's
0: what I was alluding to. you got to play well. 201 William in Potsdam will wrap us up today. Hey, William.
7: Hey, hey, Potsdam. Yeah, we're way up here, way up north. I think I've been watching the Giants since. I, my dad used to take me to the polo grounds. It's oh, been terrific. that long. <laughs> you
0: probably, probably saw Paul Dettino. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, we can. Oh, yeah, you loud and clear, yeah.
7: Yeah, yeah. I used to go to the polo grounds. He used to throw me in the back of a pickup truck and the, the guy sat up front and, and I don't
1: know, did we lose you willing okay yeah. I
7: mean I was, yeah, I was there with Zonka and everybody else like that and nice. you know, Bizarre Check and all that crap. Yeah. I, mean, I, I wanna know what rookie quarterback steps in I mean, they're not playing they're not playing Dwayne Haskins. You know, they're not I mean Kyle Murray's playing and but he's he's got good tutelage what rookie quarterback comes in and makes a phenom or, you know, do we just, I mean, I think they're, I almost worry they're destroying Daniel because How he's so? out there. He's seeing these blitzes. He's seeing these rushes. Shermer's give him. you know, we're going to run a pass on fourth and six when everybody's coming at you, you know, and uh what about Eli? I mean, he's got experience. He's a leader, you know, he, everybody says, yeah, Daniel Jones is another, uh, Eli. Well, well, good, uh, good, but he doesn't have Eli's experience. And, and on those plays, what choices is he's making? I mean, I know he went to, uh, I know he went to the, the new rookie slate and twice, but that's because they train together. You know what I mean? I just, I just think they're handling him all wrong. I mean, look what happened to David Carr in Houston. He got killed, right? You know. Yeah, I but just, it's
1: not that same situation. Will, William, I think you're really going... David Carr was Thanks sacked call, over 70 it. times that season. Okay, Daniel Jones is not on track to be sacked 70 times. Yeah, people, the offensive line is not nearly as bad as the Texans. It's not
0: even what it was with the
1: Giants two yeah. or three years ago. No. And the whole point of the caller... Listen... I was of the mindset— Or last year, for that matter. And I'm always of the mindset, it never hurts for a quarterback to sit and observe. And I still stand by that, regardless of the decision that the Giants made to make the change after two weeks. I have not changed my thought process. I still think that helps a quarterback in the long run, John. And by
0: the way, Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer said that themselves over the offseason. So, with that being said,
1: when you then call up and you say, well, you know, Eli Manning has more experience than Daniel Jones— this the whole point is to help Daniel Jones in the long run, John.
0: To get experience,
1: correct? Yeah, for him to be facing these situations where he has the pressure and he's got to decide where to go with the football. The point is, year four of his career, he's going to be able to handle these things better because
0: he was exposed to it early in his career. Hell, try year two. Yeah. Well, I'm just going down no, the road know, a little bit. No, no, but I'm just saying, further, like, like, let's say next year, right? All these young guys get a little bit older. Maybe you sign a couple free agents, and your talents at the point are like, oh, you know what? Maybe. Well, you could actually make a playoff run here. Uh-oh. But we're playing a quarterback that hasn't started an NFL game yet. And then that sabotages the whole operation, right? By going through these growing pains now, they're going to happen at some point. Not everyone's Patrick Mahomes. Look at Baker Mayfield in his second year. It's not great. <laughs> yeah. Not great. Well, the entire team has taken a significant yeah. step back. So you're taking the hits now. So that next year and the year after that, he's better. And we could sit here and analyze, well, would he have done this better? Would Eli have done that better? The die's been cast, guys. I mean, it it is what it is at this point. Pat Shermer was asked this question at his press conference, I think, before... I think it was actually before this game on Wednesday or Monday after the... Yeah, he was asked following the Cardinals Yeah, it was was the Monday after the Cardinals game, right. And he said, no, guys, Daniel's our starter. So... This is the path that they believe will best help the franchise and Daniel in the future. This is the path they've chosen. And Jones has played above expectations. Obviously, the turnovers are a huge issue he has to clean up. You know, he lost the turnover for the touchdown in this game. He fumbled another time on top of that, but he managed to recover it. back on top but of it. still fumbled. You don't want that, right? So there are things he has to fix. There are wow plays. You're like, oh, my God, he looks great. Then there are plays like, oh, my God, what is he doing? Guess what? That's what you get with rookie quarterbacks. And I can't. I, know I sound like a freaking broken record. I'm probably driving you guys nuts by using that statement. Now they can that's, all relate to me, but go that's ahead. That's what it is. That's just what it is. But I think he's shown in the flashes where you're like, you know what? This kid has a chance. And I think the kid has a chance. What is he going to become? Nobody knows. But I think he has the personality, mentality, smarts, and physical skill to do it. Now we'll see if he can
1: yeah, and as far as the environment is concerned, this is a fine environment for him to learn. He's got talent around him. He's got Saquon Barkley back now. The offensive line is nowhere near that Texans comparison that the last caller put out there. So you know, it's apples tape, and oranges. Yeah, Golden Tate. Golden Tate's been very good. Yeah. Well, and first of all, as far as you know, the, the caller brought up. Well, the reason why Slade makes those plays is because. Daniel was working with him going back to rookie minicamp. Well, first of all, he's with Evan Ingram. He's with Golden Tate. He's with a lot of the ones. I know he was briefly with Golden Tate in that Patriots preseason game, right, John? But it it wasn't as if Golden Tate and Daniel Jones were running reps all summer long together. You know, he's now working with a number of people that he didn't work with as much as he did with Darius. Tate's
0: been his go-to receiver. Yeah.
1: So I don't get the point. I completely disagree that the whole point of why Slayton is succeeding is simply because he's had more reps with him. How do you explain what Golden Tate's done consistently over the last few weeks? They've been on the same
0: point. Good stuff. Absolutely. We'll be back with you tomorrow with another episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience, courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to nine zero four six four for more details. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmelk. We'll talk to Knicks victory over the Bulls tomorrow. Make sure you're there for it. I'm just kidding. Or the Bulls victory over the yeah, Knicks. Yeah, which, which is yes. which is sadly much more likely. Okay, uh, but as long as <laughs> you're yeah, no, correct, I know. No, no one, no one is a more self-aware <laughs> Knicks fan than I am, Lance. Yes. And as you guys know, Lance is a Bull fan, so I'm just giving him a hard time. We'll see you tomorrow on Big Blue Kickoff Live at one thirty. Have guess. a good one.